We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell. Hello and welcome to the Money Matters podcast. I'm Danny Houston and with me as ever is Laura Souter. Hi, Laura. Hi there. And for this episode, we're inspired by everything that's going on around us at the moment. Specifically, many kids at the moment will be taking exams at school and be thinking about what's coming next and the next stages in their lives. Yeah, we're certainly having lots of conversations about exams at the moment. That's only year 10. We've got GCSEs next year to contend with. Um, lots of those conversations are about what next. So for some people, it will be going to college or university. For others, though, it might be time to think about applying for a job or an apprenticeship. And, and all of that is really scary stuff. And it does come with an awful lot of questions. Now, we know that this podcast is primarily aimed at women, helping them get to grips with their financial future money questions and we are going to get to the nitty-gritty of some of that pay pensions a bit later on but there's also going to be an awful lot of mums dads aunts grandparents hopefully some dads uncles brothers who've also found themselves being asked some tricky questions right now and listen to this podcast so we've grabbed a couple of great women to give us some really good advice. And then as Danny says, we're also going to be delving into some of the financial stuff that you, or more specifically, the young people in your life might be thinking about at the moment as they go into the world of work. I, I bet you remember the time when you were having to make those decisions, those, you know, career events where are you going to do A-levels? Are you going to university? What are you going to do? And and it can be a terrifying moment. I I didn't have a clue when I was this age. And it feels still feels quite mad to me that at the age of, I don't know, about 16, you've got to decide, or probably even younger than that, you've got to decide what A-levels you're going to do to lead into what degree you're going to do or what next stage of education you're going to do, which then leads into your career. And I definitely was not equipped to make those decisions. Huge life choices. Uh, and no, I mean, I, I certainly wasn't equipped and, and probably made some very bad choices along the way, but <laughs> you get You've not to... done too badly. <laughs> <laughs> you do eventually, I think, even when things go wrong. And I did have a period where lots of stuff went wrong and I failed by A-levels, but got back on track. And, you know, whatever you have to go through, whatever pitfalls, you know, potholes, um, a lot of young people will take, we hope, something from this podcast or you'll get something from this podcast which might help you get into a job or an apprenticeship either now or down the line. Yeah, we're going to talk about the nitty gritty of writing your CV or covering letter all the way through to how to tackling nerves in an interview and to talk up some of the experience that you've got, even if you don't have much experience all the way through to how to make a really good impression on your first day in a job and how to be confident on that first day. Yeah, that bit's really hard at the moment because work experience, normally by this point, my daughter would have done work experience, but that they're still struggling to find places for kids to go. And of course, lots of um, people that have taken exams this time will have been stuck at home during COVID and, and missed out on all of that. 
Um, in a few minutes, we're, we're going to hear from Heather Hansen, a global communications specialist who has just written a great book called Unmuted. Pretty apt considering how many times we've shouted, you're on mute on Zoom over the last few years. Um, she really talks candidly about how to find your voice when you've unmuted, particularly as a young woman in today's world of work. But before that, I've been chatting to Paula Warrior, who is a recruitment manager here at AJ Bell. And we talked about apprenticeship schemes and how they work and how they can be the right option for some people, but also how to succeed at interview and also how the current fierce jobs market has changed things for candidates. So thanks a lot for joining us, Paula. Um, I thought it would be worth thinking about. Lots of people don't want to go to university and they'd rather go into an apprenticeship scheme, for example. So can you just talk a little bit about how those schemes work for people that wouldn't know? I guess apprenticeships are just a really, really good opportunity to learn but earn at the same time. So it can be a really attractive opportunity because you get valuable work experience as well as building your skills, but with the support of experts on the job. So here at AJ Bell, we've got two apprenticeships that we run. One is our investment operations scheme and the people that undertake that, they get a investment qualification and the other is our digital apprenticeship. So that is a four-year course. People are put through their university degree. They rotate through our tech team. So they actually end up with some real valuable experience at the end of that. Um, and I guess arguably much well, much better prepared than their peers that have maybe just gone straight to uni. Um, I guess the bonuses that you leave as well with no student debt. So that's always a, a big, big bonus. I think if I maybe got my time again, I'd definitely consider an apprenticeship over university, particularly when there is the opportunity to do your degree as well. And I think learning at the same time just gives you that opportunity to put into practice straight away what you've learned. And so if someone's um, looking to go into a scheme, what kind of things do they need to look out for and consider um, before they pick which scheme's right for them? Yeah, I think do your research with anything, you know, learn about who you're going to potentially join, find out whether the company is one you can see yourself working for, do their values align with yours, have a look at their websites. There's always lots of information that you can find out about them, their Twitter pages, the social pages. Um, how is the apprenticeship scheme put together? How will you study? Will you spend a day off site learning about you know, what, whatever the subject is? Will you do exams? If exams aren't for you, then maybe that's not the right apprenticeship scheme. Do they offer mentoring? If you can, speak to people that maybe are already undergoing a similar scheme at that business. Maybe you've got kind of ex-friends from school, colleagues, whatever it might be, see if they can give you any insight into that. And then I think the more practical issues like location, where they're going to be based, what the salary is, I think... Um, in theory, you know, you might think getting a, a bus an hour each way might be feasible, but it will soon take its toll once you've joined. But I think do that research and that will become evident during the recruitment process. That will shine through when you're kind of maybe undertaking an interview or an assessment centre. 
And so then if we think more broadly about people applying probably for their first job where they're entering the world of work, I mean, you must see lots of CVs and covering letters in your role. So can you give us an idea of what makes a CV stand out, but for the right reasons rather than the wrong reasons? Yeah, I think you can definitely tell the people that have properly read the advert and, and took on board what we're asking for, I think. You know, read that advert carefully and, and if necessary, tweak your CV. You um, you might not have put everything in. There's always that kind of rule of don't make it any longer than two pages. Some people try and streamline their CV and they can sometimes end up too lean, but you might end up with a particular skill, maybe Excel. You didn't think it was as relevant, but actually on a volume roll where we've maybe received two or 300 applications, that then becomes one of our sifting tools. So um, you may end up sifted out of the process whilst we gather our shortlist for something that you have actually got, but you've just not stated it. I think um, if there's a particular call for action within the advert, if you're asked for a cover letter or for a particular statement as to why maybe financial services or technology services is for you, then then do that. And I think be be thorough, like use that as a, a kind of platform to showcase your research that you've done, kind of how passionate you are about the role. A, a really good cover letter is going to stand out head and shoulders above a you know a bland one that doesn't really go into any detail. So I always think the ones that come through where they they've scratched, you know, more than the surface. They've gone and read the news articles. They found out some of the policies we've maybe implemented, things like that. They're the ones that stand out as kind of this candidate's really, really passionate. And then I think just the the kind of common sense, the spell checking, the grammatical errors, make sure they are gone. Um, you know, they're definitely a kind of a sifting tool. If, if your CV is coming through and it's saying I've got great attention to detail, but then I see spelling mistakes throughout, the two aren't marrying up for, for me. So I think they're they're the big ones. And so there's some really great tips in there, but are there any really big no-nos, any things where immediately that would lead to the CV or the cover letter being put in the bin? Um, I think probably just the reverse of that in many respects. You know, it, it's come through to us that if, if, if there is spelling mistakes everywhere, if, um, for me, um, if your personal statement tells me that you're super passionate about tech and you've always dreamed about a job in tech, but actually you're applying for uh, an accountant role or you know a trainee accountant role. For me, that's telling me that you've not really put time and effort and thought into our application. It's one of however many that you've fired out and actually are we really the job you want or are we just another application that you've got out? And yeah, you're not not really that, that fussed. Um, not a deal breaker. I'm not a massive fan of a photo. I, I just don't think that... They're required to keep it to your skills and, and, you know, bring that to the front rather than a picture and, and kind of unnecessary information. And so obviously the recruitment market at the moment, the jobs market is pretty hot. So it's a good it's a good time to be looking for a job. Yeah. Um, how has that changed the recruitment process, if at all? Um, it has definitely changed it. It's, um, like you said, very much a candidate-driven market. I think candidates have got that luxury of choice like never before. I've um, I've recruited now for 16 years, and I think this is probably the toughest I've uh, found it in them years. But I think, in general, the role of my team has kind of swayed to more sourcing. So we spend a lot more time in LinkedIn, on the job boards, 
scouring through receiving databases to find them candidates to then sell AJ Bell. Um, on the whole, application numbers have gone down, so a lot more time is is put into that kind of sourcing, um, and and that's that's really what's taken the time on our side. I think candidates' attitudes and demands have changed as well, so people very much you know, want that work from home, that work-life balance, flexible working, I think that's coming through. People are kind of demanding that straight away. So that is leading to changes in the job offering that we've got, but also the interview process. So we've very much kept our kind of pandemic processes, lots of remote tests, um, virtual interviews. We're finding that because candidates have so much opportunity at the minute, if we delay, if we wait a week for someone to book a, a day's leave in order to come in for an interview, we very often lose them. So we, we've kept a lot of them kind of mid-pandemic processes and they're working out really, really well. But on the whole, once we've got that candidate in the mix, the process is much quicker. We get them through screening, interview um, and offer much, much quicker than probably pre-pandemic. And so you touched on kind of interview there. So if you've um, got through the kind of CV and cover letter stage, you've been invited for interview. For those people that are starting out in the world of work, that can probably be a pretty nerve wracking thing. They might never have had a kind of formal interview before. So how do ca- how can candidates keep those nerves in check and, and not let them kind of get the better of them in an interview? Yeah, I think preparation is probably key. Um you know, practice. I think Google really is your friend. There's lots of materials and, and tools in in the public domain. I think lots of interviews run on the same competency-based format. Lots of the questioning is similar. I think if you go away, you research, you do your preparation, you structure your potential answers, um, I think that will lead to a, a really good interview. I think if you go in, you've not done your research, you can't even answer the first question, which is most often, what do you know about us? I think it's going to go downhill from there, whereas a well-prepared candidate will just grow with confidence throughout the interview. And, and I think um, little tips like take that drink, um, you know, use that, that kind of couple of seconds once you take a sip of a drink to think through your question. Breathe. I'm probably not doing it now, but breathe and listen to the question. Um, the last thing you want is to waffle on on a tangent and then not realise you've not answered the question and the interviewer then has to come back and re-pitch the question. It is probably one of the most common things we see when rejecting candidates is they've either not prepared, they went off on a tangent, we had to keep trying to pull them back to the kind of question at hand. So I think also remember that it's a two-way street. It's not just you being grilled. Like It is your opportunity to ask questions as well. So have some some questions to ask the interviewers and, and put the pressure on them, if you will. Um, yeah, I think that would be be my uh, my answer to that. Are there any kind of really big no nos that people should avoid doing, or should you know make sure? And, and conversely, like really essential things that people should do during an interview. Yeah, I think um, big no-nos, probably swearing. I think sometimes nerves get the better of people and it does occasionally happen. If, if it does, apologise and try and forget about it. Otherwise, that will continue to stress you out during the interview. But um, for me, when it comes to the asking for questions, try not to ask 
the irrelevant ones, try and keep it on the job at hand, the skills, the day-to-day, what that looks like. Don't ask about salary and benefits. They're the things that you can utilise your recruiter for. So um, keep it to the expressing your enthusiasm for the role rather than what, what you're going to get in return for that. I think the do's absolutely be on time. It shows that, you know, this role is important to you. If you can, do a recce of the location. If it's, the, you know, you're coming into the office, spend the weekend before maybe just doing a drive, seeing if there's any roadworks and things that might get in the way. Plan plenty of time to get here. I think earlier is definitely better than arriving late. If you're doing it via Zoom, make sure you've got a Zoom account. Don't go to log on to 10 minutes before um, and then not be able to get on and then you're panicking, you're starting your interview, really flustered. Um, do your research. It's going to absolutely shine throughout the interview. If you're picking up, you know, in your answers, you're able to kind of show what you've researched. I think that's just going to absolutely show your enthusiasm for the role. And I'm seeing more and more people now hiring on attitudes. So, you know, that straight away is showing me that you're interested and you're keen and, and you know, you've planned for this. And so for people where they're interviewing for their first kind of big career job, they might have had weekend jobs or, you know, more casual jobs. Um, How do they talk about their experience interview when you actually don't really have much real world experience? How do you kind of you almost need the job to get the experience, but you need experience to get the job? How do you um, solve that? Yeah, I mean, there is that catch-22, but I often think um, it's not just about the experience. It's about your skills. So you've your cv's done what it needed to do you've got to the interview so the people that are interviewing you know they know that you've not got a particular background or experience so they want to find out about you your behaviors your kind of passion that you've got there so i think touch on some of the the other kind of transferable skills that you've maybe learned through education through social activities through sporting activities there's some real brilliant transferable skills that are gained through some of them non-work activities like sports and teamwork and determination I think prepare your answers around them that makes sense um thanks so much for all of that it's been really helpful and hopefully it'll be really helpful for those people that are looking to get their first job no thank you for having me some really great tips there from Paula uh, and it's funny how many of the don't do things that I've actually done in interviews um, I, I think every interview that you do probably teaches you something about yourself and and I've actually sat in a number of interviews interviewed people where money is the only thing that people want to talk about and and that can be a real turn off yeah and I think there's lots of tips and tricks but then sometimes I think when you get in an interview all of that goes out of your head and you find yourself waffling on about something completely (laughs) irrelevant (laughs) I've definitely found that before but I think it's been interesting now through my career having been on both sides of it it's quite easy a bit like Paula was saying to really spot those things you definitely shouldn't do in interview because now I've seen lots of people do them. One job interview that I attended, um, I I got the job and um, when the uh, guy who was hiring me phoned me up, he said, we decided to give you the job in spite of your interview. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. Lesson learned, hey?
Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get on to tips about making an impression in interviews and when you finally start out in the workplace, we thought we'd just talk through a few financial things that you need to bear in mind. So the first thing is that the salary that you're offered isn't actually the amount of money that you're going to take home pesky little things called tax and national insurance will eat into some of your paycheck. So it's a really good idea when you get offered a salary to have a look at how much you'll actually be taking home each month and whether that tallies with what you need to cover rent or bills. Um, The good news is that for anyone on a lower salary, so anyone earning £12,570 a year, you won't pay any tax at their level. And from July this year, you won't pay any national insurance. But if you earn more than that, then obviously some of that will be taken away by the tax man. So for example, if you earn a salary of £15,000 a year, around about just over £800 of that will be taken away in a year um, for tax and national insurance. Um, There's some really good websites out there. One of them is called the Salary Calculator, and that will help you work out how much money you're actually going to get in your bank at the end of each month. And, you know, we were talking about not money not being the only thing that you asked about in an interview you know you should be asking about all sorts of things about what the job will deliver you as a person and what you can bring to the job but money is massively important and if you are starting in a job you should get the full details of what you'll be paid and things like the terms and conditions when you accept the job but just for some guidance there is the national living wage so anyone under 18 should get at least £4.81 an hour and that goes up at age 18, 21 and 23. There's loads of advice on the Money Helper website. If you are on an apprenticeship rate, anyone under 19 should get at least £4.81 an hour and apprentices over 19 will also get that rate in their first year but after they've completed the first year of their apprenticeship they're then entitled to the minimum wage for your age. Um, That's the minimum of course so employers will pay more. Full-time apprenticeships should offer a minimum of 30 hours and you'll also get time for training do check how and where that training will be provided. Uh, Remember, of course, that training time is classed as part of your working week, which is the beauty of the sort of earn as you learn thing that Paula was talking about. And I thought it would also be worth touching on pensions. Now, I know quite a lot of 21, 22 year olds starting out in work probably aren't going to be thinking about their pension, but it is worth bearing it in mind. So if you're over the age of 22 and you're earning more than £10,000 a year with that employer, then you'll be automatically enrolled into your workplace pension scheme. Um, And actually, if you earn less than that or you're younger than that, then you still could choose to opt in to the scheme. Um, And depending on how much you earn, you will get contributions from your employer. Um, So it's worth thinking about those pensions because what you'll get is a top up from your employer and you also get tax relief from the government. So um, I think the best way to frame that is thinking of that as a kind of a a free pay rise or um, some extra free money that you could get on top. So if you can afford to put money away in a pension, the money that you put in when you're in your 20s is really great because it has so much longer to grow because you've got about 40 odd years until you come to retire. But it's something just worth thinking about whether you can afford it um, and whether that's something that you want to do at this stage. 
And also Paula mentioned something as well that, that really resonated. Think about how you're going to get to where you're going to be working. And if you're doing an apprenticeship, you know, are you also going to have to go to college? And if so, where is that going to be? How much is it going to cost you both in terms of money, but also in terms of time? And do think about that paycheck. You know, it's it's exciting, particularly the first one. But you've got to think about what it needs to pay for. You know, can you blow the lot on a trip to Ibiza or do you have to cover something like rent, food, even if it's just to give cash to your mum or dad? Yeah, exactly. I think it's really important before you accept that salary to really think about um, how far it's got to go and whether you can live on it. And also, as we talked about with Paula, it's such a fierce job market at the moment, but in candidates' favour in that they're really in the driving seat. And so there's no reason why, if you think you should be paid more, you shouldn't go back and ask for more money. My motto that I'm always saying to my friends is you should never accept the first offer that your employer offers you or your future employer offers you because there's usually always more money there. And even if there isn't, they're not necessarily going to think bad of you as long as you ask in a respectful, nice way. That is incredibly good advice. And, and you know, lots of people as well are now also thinking about what else aside from just the money. You know, can you work from home some days? Is there flexible working involved? But if you've got the job, congratulations. How then do you make a great first impression? How do you get noticed? How do you position yourself to succeed? Well, I caught up with Heather Hansen, who has given tips to business leaders right around the world on communication and people skills. She's just written a book called Unmuted, published by Bloomsbury. And I started by asking her for some advice for people just starting out in the world of work today. Just thinking about young people making their first steps into the world of work and and young women in particular, the last few years have really presented some huge challenges for everybody. But for young people now having to find their way in the workplace, that is going to be quite difficult for them. So how can employers and other colleagues help young people make their entry into the world of work? What do we need to be thinking about? That's such a great question. And I like that you're coming to it from that perspective of what can we do to help them as they're entering? I think that we do need to be giving an extra special helping hand to these young people who are entering the workforce. When you think about the fact that many of them have been trapped in their bedrooms, online learning for the past two years, and now they're trying to enter society not having had the same opportunities that any of us had moving into the workplace. I think we do have to be very inclusive. We need to be asking their opinions. We need to be supporting them, mentoring them, coaching them from day one so that they can get a good start and build strong relationships, which we know will impact their entire career future. What kind of tips for young people when they're having to have conversations with people that they don't know, people who are their senior, people who are are just their colleague? How do they figure out where to pitch those conversations? 
I think they first need to focus on building their self-confidence, knowing that they're there for a reason. They were hired for a reason. They wouldn't be there if the managers and the people above them didn't want them there. So know, first of all, that if you are walking into a new workplace, there is a whole community of people who want you there, who want to hear your ideas. And then it's about making your mark as quickly as possible, not in a real actionable way necessarily, but by speaking up in meetings, being visible making friends, networking within the office and the teams so that people see and recognize you. That is important from the very start because the longer you wait, the more uncomfortable it becomes to finally speak up. So if you do that fast and early, it gets a lot more comfortable to speak up after that. So just go in there, be confident, speak up. Because it is uncomfortable to, particularly if you're not used to having your voice heard, to to actually feel that what you have to say is worth hearing. How do you psych yourself up to actually open your mouth? Yeah. And it is a little bit of psyching yourself up in a way of knowing it is that self-confidence of knowing that your ideas matter, that you have something to contribute. And I think more than ever, this young generation coming in has so much to offer. The world is changing so fast. They are more adaptable than any generation, I believe. They've grown up in a global world. They've seen YouTube and TikTok and they know social media. They have so much to offer us. And so I think it's about owning that, knowing that you have a very important place in the company and that your words and ideas matter. So young people, young person, day one, walking in, is there a sort of list of tips and tricks that they can take in on that first day? Ooh, the first day of work. I feel the nerves in my stomach just thinking about it when I think back to my first internships and first jobs. And it, it is, it's such a nerve wracking experience. I would say, number one, try to relax as best as you can. Get the lay of the land, find your space, introduce yourself to whoever is near you. Make sure you, um, make some new friends. It's like the first day of school, if you think of it that way, right? Just like the first day of school and you walk onto your university campus and anybody you see, you introduce yourself and everyone is there to meet new people. It feels a little different going into a workplace because they already know each other. But I think everyone is typically pretty excited to meet the new kid on the block who's coming in and and they want to include them in the team. So it's about going in making those, building those relationships from the start, uh, having good conversations with your line manager, trying to find a mentor from the beginning if you can. And hopefully the company is also setting that up as well, coaching, mentoring for new hires and your whole onboarding process. If you're lucky enough that you're being onboarded with others, which is quite common, and especially right now when there's a lot of hiring and moving and, and people moving around, it's very possible you're coming in with a cohort and you'll be able to make friends right away with them. What about hybrid? Because there are still Mm. huge numbers of people working from home. Maybe you only see some people once a week, once a month. Maybe you're having to split your time between home and and doing meetings on a computer screen. How do you juggle that? Stay involved when you're online. There will always be those people who turn the cameras off, put themselves on mute, hide in the corner. And they're doing that in real life as well in many cases. This is why I wrote Unmuted, because I feel that people need to unmute, even in real life, not just in the virtual worlds. 
but be involved in these online meetings. Make sure that you have camera on, people see you, have a good setup, lighting, good audio, because then people notice you, they hear you, you're, you're heard in that meeting. Be active in the chat, give your uh, feedback and contribute and write messages to others in the room and be a part of that conversation. That is how you're going to find success there. And it's going to be so much more enjoyable because if you're just hiding, they aren't going to remember you're there. So you have to make that effort. You have to unmute. You have to turn the camera on and be a part of the conversation. And I guess the same goes for job interviews as well. I mean, I remember so many job interviews where that sort of last thing is, is there anything that you want to ask us? And, you know, you've done the interview and you're a bit like, oh, I just want to go. Or how much (laughs) is the salary? But that's a really important part of the interview, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Make sure that you've done your research. Make sure that you're asking the questions that you need to know and have confidence in those questions. Uh, I think that that's more impressive to a hiring manager when they see you valuing yourself, valuing your worth and your ideas and asking for what you need and getting the information that you need about the company for sure. Yeah, because right now with the labor market so tight, it's very much an employee's market. Absolutely. There are so many people that are moving and leaving companies. We're dealing with a lot of companies doing everything they can just to retain talent because so many people are having their great awakening and wanting something different. So people are picking and choosing these days where they want to go. And it's important to be able to speak up and and voice your opinions in those interviews. Really make your mark, stand out and ask for what you want. And what's quite interesting as well is that employees are also now looking at companies and judging companies by how they perform, both in terms of of social, but also in terms of Mm -hmm. ethical and environmental issues. So Mm -hmm. employees, young people, don't just have to work for a company if they don't like what that company stands for. But by the same token, I guess, if they get involved, they can help change things. Absolutely. But I think you're right. There isn't any more of this clocking in, clocking out, do your job, go home, switch off. We have this really fluid relationship between work and home life, especially in the hybrid environment. And people don't want to just go to work for work's sake anymore. They want purpose. They want to have passion involved, especially the younger generation. So from a leadership perspective as well, leaders need to be very much purpose-driven. They have to be thinking about what do they stand for. They need to have their own personal brand within the company and have issues and concerns that they stand up for because that's what's going to inspire their people and especially the younger people coming in. And from the employee perspective, looking and choosing where do I want to apply? What do I want to do? Absolutely. For the younger generations and even older generations at this point, we want purpose and we want to see that played out at every level of the organization. It it isn't just about profits anymore. It's much larger than that, much more human in that sense. And this is obviously a a financial podcast, and we have done an episode talking about how to ask for a pay rise as a woman. Mm -hmm. It is so easy to be undervalued, to undervalue yourself and to not ask for what you're worth. Mm -hmm. Even for me as a consultant, when I go out in the market and I think that I'm charging what I should be charging, and then I find out 
the man next to me is charging double and getting it from the same client. <laughs> and I think, what is going on? You know, am I just out of touch? Am I not valuing myself properly? But we know this. We have the research to show that typically women are not, we aren't asking for it. It's like we're so used to only being paid three quarters of what the man has paid that we're happy when we get that. Uh, and I think we do need to be much more open. And, and this is what I love about your show, actually, is that you know, we need to be more open talking about these things together as women, comparing our earnings, talking about what we charge, talking about what kind of money we're making in certain positions, because otherwise we don't know. We don't have the old boys clubs at the golf club where we talk in the in the back corners about, you know, the deals that we're closing. And we need to start uh, pulling some of that from those ideas from them to really enhance and understand the market and what we are worth. And that can move us forward. So I'm very happy for a show like this where, where you are educating more and more women in these issues. So if you could tell yourself one thing, if you could go back to Heather starting day one world of work, what would you tell yourself? Oh, Put you wow. on the spot now. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. What would I tell myself? You know, even my whole career, which is, you know, 15 to 20 years, if you go back to the early jobs, um, I, I would say that it has been this massive unmuting process, right? That you start out and you're unsure and you don't have that confidence to speak up and you kind of find your way. And I do wish that I had been more outgoing from the start, that I believed in myself more, that I made my mark right away uh, and started building relationships from the very beginning. That's, that's probably the most important, building your community, valuing those relationships, that it's not just about getting top grades anymore and achievement, achievement. It's about understanding and building relationships with the people around you, because that network is what will follow you through your entire career and will always set you up for success. So it's a, it's a mix, probably, I would say, to be more confident, um, speak up more often, and really focus on building my network from day one. Heather, it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you. And the book's available now? It is. It's available everywhere, all the major bookstores in the UK and online as well. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Thanks for having me. Heather Hansen there and her book Unmuted, How to Show Up, Speak Up and Inspire Action is available from Bloomsbury now. And you can also find her on Instagram at Heather Hansen. Do you remember your first day of work, Laura? I don't think I remember specifically my first day of work, but I do remember my first job, my first like proper career job. I had to work eight until six and also commute. And I earned £16,000 a year. And I remember getting about three weeks into it and thinking, oh my God, do I have to do this for the rest of my life? And I don't think that means that it was necessarily the most positive experience. I think it's got a bit better since then. I no longer feel that every day. But I do remember it being a massive adjustment going from being at university where you had so much free time and could do what you want to actually having to work such long hours. And I found it pretty tough, I think. I had to volunteer as a journalist for, for a long time in order to, you know, that work experience thing. But because I would, I'd finished university and I'd, I'd finished doing a postgraduate, I'd spent a fortune on, you know, those fees. 
um, although I didn't have to pay for university fees at the time, um, thankfully. Uh, but I, I do remember a period of my life where I was working three jobs. So I'd start in the morning uh, working at a shipbuilder's company, answering phones. And then I would go and do a few hours at a radio station learning to be a journalist. And then in the evening, I would go and tend the bar at an American diner. So I was absolutely exhausted. Um, but, you know, it just meant then when I finally got my first proper job in journalism, it was it was quite a relief. Anything's <laughs> <laughs> easy in comparison to juggling three jobs, I think. <laughs> yeah, so many people do it, don't they, particularly at the moment. So that's it for this week's episode of the Money Matters podcast. We've spoken a lot about the world of work recently, and we know that lots of people will start their journey to the workplace at university. So our next episode is going to be looking at university, but specifically about student finance, about how the loans and the grants work, and also how to live on a student budget. Thank you so much for listening. Um, do get in touch with your comments, your questions, any subjects that you would like us to tackle on future podcasts. As always, you can email us moneymatters at ajbell.co.uk or follow us on Instagram at ajbellmoneymatters. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. So if you Google AJ Bell Money Matters, you'll come up with the homepage with lots of articles, podcast episodes, videos, and also the link to sign up to the newsletter, where you'll also be first to hear about our next live event, which is coming up in the autumn. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.